0: God's gonna honor you um, I just want to welcome everybody I'm so glad that you are here this morning um, I'm very glad to be able to see you and to be able to worship alongside you um, it's a it's an honor and a privilege to be here every week and uh, I'm just I love this group of people if you're a visitor I just want you to feel welcomed um, I hope you have up to this point enjoyed uh, the service and really felt the presence of God here um, that that's what we're trying to do we want um, for you to know Jesus, we want for everyone that comes through these doors to have a deeper walk with the Lord. That is our goal. That is our purpose, and that w- that's what we're called to do. And so that's what I'm uh, prayerfully hoping that you experience here this morning. If you're visiting us, or even if you're watching online, um, uh, we we would rather you be here in person. But if you can't for whatever reason, we understand. But we are hoping that you feel God's presence there where you're at watching this. Um, we, we have been, uh, we, we just started a series last week. Um, how many of you are ready for Christmas? Anybody ready for Christmas? Y'all are ready for it. Ooh, I am not. I am not. I am behind. All right. I, I realize today is December 11th. That means two Sundays from now is Christmas. And that means that I'm probably not going to be able to order anything online after this week. Yeesh. Um no, I, I am I'm excited for it. Uh we we are looking forward to it. We're gonna go over to North Carolina to spend it with Tapta's family this year. Um we'll actually be there on Christmas Day. I don't know that we've been there for Christmas Day ever. We were there last year for Christmas Day? Oh <clears throat> I apologize. So we'll be there. We were we were there for Thanksgiving, and for those of you who don't know, um, my wife's mother is going through a battle of cancer, and we're getting there as much as we can. Um, it's it's lung cancer. It's in an advanced stage, and so we're taking advantage of every opportunity. And I know many of you, I know many of you have been praying for us. Please keep praying. Keep praying for my wife, for her mother, for the family, um, that God would continue to give strength, especially if you've gone through something like this. You know what it's like. Um, Please continue praying for us. Um, I know she's probably watching right now, too, so mother-in-law, we love you. You've got a whole group of people here uh, at Emmanuel Worship Center that love you and are praying for you, um, and we're going to keep it up, so continue fighting the good fight. Um, So... Uh, I didn't mean to go there. That's not even in my notes. But I, many of you have come up to us, and I, I really do sincerely thank you and appreciate um, every single one of you who have come up and shown your concern and your level of, of love for us and knowing that what we're going through. Please keep it coming. We need it. We need the body of Christ to be um, strong, especially in moments like this. Amen. This is when we need the body more than ever. Um, Um, we, we are, uh, hopeful because we know that the God that we serve is not a dead God who is unable to do things. We know that we serve a living God who has all power in his hands to, to, to create the universe, to do all that. And if he can do that, we know that he takes care of us. Amen. And so, um, What we've been talking about leading up to Christmas, Andrew started it last week. Sorry, Pastor Andrew started it last week. I don't mean to disrespect you, Andrew. I forget you're my cousin. I just say Andrew. I don't say Pastor Andrew. Um, But Pastor Andrew started last week the series Behold, To Behold Something. And really, this came from uh, what we read in Scripture, especially in the English Standard Version, the ESV version. If you read out of that version, Um, it's it's one of those more scholarly type versions, it's used a, a lot in scholarly settings. And so um, we, we are going through this passage of Scripture or, or this series, going through passages of Scripture using that one uh, because it, it, it gives us those, um, those insights to what the original language was really trying to say. And, and it still makes it readable to us here in English. So we've been there. And, and one word that comes up a lot throughout the um, story of Christ coming to earth is behold. And it's a word that's repeated many times over. Um, and when we see the word behold, it's a very biblical word. Um, when you behold something, it's more than to just look at it. It's not just seeing something. Okay, when you behold something, it's not just I, I behold you a thing. No, it's, it's more than just seeing something. The meaning of the word behold is to perceive through deliberate observation and to perceive something rightly for what it truly is. To behold is to gain an understanding of the worth, of the value, and of the nature of something through through seeing it rightly and intentionally. So to behold Christ coming to this earth is not just something that we want you to say, I see that. It's something we want you... To, uh, to fully understand rightly what it is that Christ did for us by coming to this earth. Amen. Andrew spoke on the wise men last week that came from a great distance to behold Christ, which was the contrast of what King Herod was doing when they were trying to find Christ and they stopped at King Herod to ask him where this king was. King Herod was troubled. I like that Andrew pointed this out last week. It was really good. If you want to go back and watch it, I recommend that you do. Because he points out that King Herod was troubled when he heard about Christ being the king. But the wise men were encouraged. The wise men responded completely different than Herod. They responded with joy. They responded with worship. And they responded with sacrifice. King Herod responded with trouble. And Andrew said this last week, and I just want to say it because this really rung with me. It says, um, he said, we fail to behold Christ when we are troubled by his kingship. That was Herod. Herod failed to behold Christ because he was troubled by his kingship. And the way he emphasized this a little bit more was he said, sometimes we just want Christ to be our Savior, but we don't want him to be our Lord. I hope you have your steel toe boots. That hurts your toes. Steps on them a little bit. That's what Herod had the mindset of. He was troubled. And many of us are troubled because we like the idea of Christ being our savior. It's just very difficult to make him Lord. But we need to respond like the wise men is what Pastor Andrew said last week. We need to respond with joy, worship, and sacrifice when we, when we behold Christ as king. Amen? So this week we're going to dig in a little bit dip, deeper into beholding Christ as the savior in a manger. So, if you're taking notes and you want to title this sermon, it is going to be The Savior in a Manger. So, if you'll go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2, we're going to go from verses 1 through 21. This is probably a very familiar story to you, especially here at Christmas time. Probably a very familiar story. Now, I have to say it again. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When you get there, say amen. Oh, there's only like four of y'all that are there. Don't cheat with the screens, okay? When you get there, say amen. All right, we got everybody there. Let's go Luke chapter two, verses one through 21. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. And it's, it starts chapter two, verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, everybody say, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Amen. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's a loaded statement. Don't, just pass that by it's not just a name okay we'll get back to that and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased say, and I hope to be pleased with God. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child and all who heard it Wow, y'all familiar with this story? This is pretty much the Christmas story that we hear every year. Who here has never heard that before? Anybody here never heard that before? Okay, most of us are very familiar with this, so we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into this passage because this is not just a narrative for you to kind of read and just kind of, oh, that's the story of Jesus being born. There's something that God wants to tell us here this morning, amen? So the first thing I wanna point out The first point, if you're taking notes, is Jesus Christ, the Savior, born in a manger. Why is this significant? First, let's focus on the location of this manger. The location is Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were not living in Bethlehem. They were living in Nazareth. And if you go on Google Maps today, it's about a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay? That's what I did. I went on Google Maps doing my research. It's about a 90-mile trip. It's In a straight line, it's about 70 miles. But back then, they didn't have cars, right? They had donkeys and they had patamobiles, okay? <laughs> maybe a camel if you were rich, okay? Uh, but you weren't moving fast. You were covering maybe 20 miles a day, and you got to think a pregnant woman Riding on a donkey or a camel probably wasn't very happy, so the trip could have taken anywhere from four to five days, maybe a little bit longer, could have been a week. You know, they probably had a favorite restaurant they like to stop at on the way. I don't know. Maybe there was Bucky's in Israel, and they had to stop and get beef jerky, okay? Now, they traveled down to this location. Um. What, what's really interesting about this, this is, I'm, I'm going to nerd out on you here a little bit, okay? What's really interesting about Jesus and what, about Mary and Joseph being moved um, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to, to take part of this registration, this census that's going on, is it, it, you have to kind of take context of what's going on here. This is the height of the Roman Empire, I mean, they are under the rule of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. The Israelites are under the rule of the Roman Empire. And this isn't like at the beginning of the Roman Empire. No, this is at the height, the peak of its power. And and to many people, it was basically called the empire of the world. They were the global empire to a lot of people at this period of time. And so when Caesar Augustus makes a decree. He's the most powerful man in the world to make a decree. But isn't it interesting that the decree he makes is into the will of God, subjecting him to the authority of God without even knowing it. That Also, during this time, there was the separation of, of the state, which was controlled by the Roman Empire, but in, in their agreement, about 60 years prior to this, when, they, when the Roman Empire kind of takes full control over Judea and Jerusalem and this whole region, they had an agreement, to, well, well, let us keep our religion, let us continue in our religious ways, and let, let us, as the, the high priest negotiated, let, let us continue to practice our religion the way that we practice it. And they agreed to that. Okay, we control the state, you can control the religion. And so the high priest had power to control the religion. And why that is significant is because the priest, for religious purposes, convinced the Romans to allow all the people in Israel, all the Israelites, to go back to where their lineage began. And so you've got... Because Caesar Augustus would have let them take census where they lived. He didn't care that they had to go back, but because these... Religious leaders thought it was important for people to go back to their lineage. They went to where they were from and had to register there. So it was kind of not only a Roman census, but also an Israelite census, a Jewish census. So they could be, um, uh, I guess, associated with their lineage and they could know well, who was still around from these different tribes of the people of Israel. It's, it's very interesting to me that the, the state leader... The most powerful man on earth, Caesar Augustus. And now these religious leaders who would later reject Christ still fall under the authority of Christ, under the authority of God. Because God still lets his will be accomplished, even though these things are completely not trying to work with God. God proved that his providence is great because all of them still fell under his authority. He required there, by, by Caesar Augustus requiring that a census take place all the way down to the re- religious leaders who wanted all to register where they were from. This would fulfill the prophecy that the Savior would come from the house of David. There is no authority above God. Isn't that amazing? There is no authority above God. So Bethlehem, the city where Jesus is born, the city of David, which when David was called to lead God's people, was still a shepherd. When he was anointed to become the next king of Israel, he was a shepherd. Bethlehem, you know what Bethlehem meant? The meaning of the word Bethlehem is the house of bread. And it's not a modern day slang term. This is not the house of money, people, okay? I know you young folks call bread money or money bread, whatever it is. That's not what it is here, right? This is not the house of bread like that, all right? This was the house of bread. What a better place for the bread of life to be born than the house of bread, amen? That's interesting. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt with Moses, who when Moses was called to deliver the Israelites, when God met him in the burning bush, what was Moses doing? He was shepherding. Isn't it interesting? Man, we got a story here with some shepherds. I'm trying to lay some foundation work here. You've got David who was shepherding sheep when God called him to lead. Then you've got Moses who was shepherding some sheep when he was going to lead God's people as well. And here you've got shepherds involved in this story. According to Jewish law and tradition, this is, I, this, is, this is where I really nerded out a little bit. According to Jewish law and tradition, Bethlehem was the place where the sheep used for sacrifices in the temple were raised. Did you know that? Bethlehem was the place where if you were going to sacrifice a lamb to atone for your sins, there were certain sheep that you could use, and that was it. And they had to be spotless, firstborn males that that were (laughs) literally just like Jesus is. When they were born, they were wrapped in these swaddling cloths and set aside in a manger, much like Jesus, because they were set apart as holy to God, acceptable to be used as a sacrifice. This was the sheep. So the foreshadowing that's happening here with Christ being born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, the place where things that were holy, that were going to be set apart, to be used for sacrifice, to atone for the sins of people. We're seeing it happen through the life of Christ, and it's just fascinating. Isn't it incredible? The way that God just orchestrates and puts everything together. How much do you think he cares about you? Look at all the effort, and look at all these things that are lining up along with God's scripture and and all these things. And it's not for nothing. It's not just for Jesus to come. It's because Jesus is coming to redeem you. This is all happening because he loves you. He's here to redeem you. The level of detail that he went through because he loved you is is so just mind-blowing to me. That's how much he loves you and he pursues you. He cares about even the fine details that you've probably read over time and time again, never paid any attention to. God cares that much about you that these details are still significant. Amen. Now we see him coming as the spotless lamb, the firstborn man, male, who is set apart as holy, who is ready to be sacrificed for the atonement of sin for all humanity. For you. And the interesting thing is that he is not born into a castle. He's not born in the temple. He is not born um, into this grand palace or this, uh, this super amazing crib or anything like that. No, he's born in a humble place, a simple place, as a sign to say, I am here for all people. Not just the religious. Yes, go ahead. Give God a round of applause. The most humble place a king could be born was a manger in a small city with very little significance outside of the people who were aware of this prophecy. Nobody would think anything great would come from Bethlehem. To the outside world at this time, Jesus' place of birth was not representative Of a person with any kind of significance, especially not a savior. I imagine that people thought that when Jesus or the savior were to be born, that it would be a lot like we've seen in the movie Aladdin. When he comes in as Prince Ali, Ali is he, and he's got like this whole parade and the genie singing a song and there's a band parading through, you know, all this different. I imagine people had an expectation of some kind of huge festive celebration that was going to usher in this king that is to be born and it was going to be a big deal. But no, Jesus decided to, to, to tell us who he's here for and that's for us. He most likely would not have been wrapped in cloths. He would have probably, in their minds, been wrapped in fine linens and silk and something that was costly, that had great value because he was the king that was to come. But no, he's wrapped in cloths just like the sheep were. I love that whenever I was studying this, I found this in one of the commentaries I was reading. Gary Burge uh, does the NIV application commentary, and he wrote, Um, In one part, he says, importance is not a matter of one's environment or the supposed status that things bring. Can I say that again? Importance is not a matter of one's environment or the supposed status that things bring. Rather, importance is a function of one's role in God's work. The environment is not what moves God. The status that things bring, having all these fine things, that is not what is important to God. Rather, importance is a function of one's role in God's work. God shows us time and time again that it's not a matter of your environment or the things you have that give you importance in His eyes. Amen? Tell your neighbor, I have great importance in God's eyes. Tell your neighbor, I have great importance in God's eyes. Because it's true. You have great importance in God's eyes. And status is not what dictates that. Your environment is not what dictates that. The stuff you're able to acquire is not what dictates that. Your importance in God's eyes is your role in His work. Amen. The second point that I want to focus on or the second area that I want to focus on, not only that Christ, the Savior, is born in a manger and the amount of significance that there is in that. The second thing I want to focus on here is the shepherds. <clears throat> because I, I, this is like making the insignificant significant. The people who feel insignificant are now made significant. Speaking of people who don't seem like they would be important, let's talk about these shepherds. These were not exactly the people expected to receive the news that the Savior had been born, okay? This was not the eyewitness news channel people, okay? You would think they would show up to Channel 13, but he didn't. He showed up to shepherds in the field, all right? Maybe you don't watch Channel 13, okay? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Dave Ward got me hooked when I was a kid, all right? And then Marvin Zindler slime in the ice machine. Man, that had me. (laughs) That's like my favorite part of the news. He had a little song with it too. Y'all remember that? Anyway, getting off topic. These were not exactly the people expected to receive the news or declare the news that the Savior had been born. But it's interesting that when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush about freeing the Israelites from from slavery and redeeming them for the promised land, that Moses was a shepherd. And it's interesting to me that when he called David to be the next king of Israel, David was a shepherd. So who is this proclamation gonna be made through? A shepherd. Of course, when God speaks of redeeming his people, when God speaks of his people being led by somebody now, We've seen it happen throughout Scripture that it's going to be a shepherd. We see here that God is using shepherds again in his story of redemption, bringing good news of great joy for all people. And I'm sure these shepherds were not likely candidates, and I'm sure they felt like, I'm not the right person for this, God. And maybe that's why they had to have not only one angel, but like all of heaven's hosts kind of appear to them for them to understand, oh, I need to go proclaim a message. I, th- I feel like that would be me. I-, I feel like I would be that kind of person. I- I- have you ever felt like somebody who didn't belong or felt like you weren't somebody who was like worthy of where you were at? Have you ever felt like that? There was, there was a time um, last year, about a year ago now, I got invited to a, a Rockets basketball game. And this Rockets basketball game was an experience like no other um, because a, a friend of mine got tickets that were like VIP of VIPs, okay? Um, when we pulled up to the stadium and we had to show the people like our parking pass, they, it wasn't like the way anybody else was going at all. They, like, moved cones out of the way, and, like, I, I'm in my work truck, y'all, okay? It's, it's not nothing nice. As soon as I start going down this ramp, they stop me with a security guard and a police officer. They asked for my driver's license. I'm sure they were going to ask for my social and, like, my, do I have from, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? This, are you here to work on the pipes? What are you doing? Like, like, but we go down to park. And all the cars are like cars I see like online or only images of like like people do YouTube videos about these cars. it's 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 all high-end cars um, and we're told, yeah, this is where the players park. Oh, how'd I get here? I don't belong here. And then we, we park, and it's like, where do, do we got to go outside and go in through the main gate? Like, what do we do? No, there was a little door over here with one little bitty scanner, and that was it, you know? Hey, you got no line whatsoever. Just invite us in. They give us these wristbands. Like, you know you're important at a Rockets game if you get a wristband, okay? If you just have a ticket, you can get in and watch the game. But if you have a wristband, you have access to a lot of different stuff. So we get in, we get to go into the tunnel where the Rockets players run out, like in it, not at the entrance where you see them on TV. Like we're in the door to the locker room, and we're standing there. These dudes are tall. When when you're 5'6", and you see a guy that's 6'10", 7 foot, you're like, whoa, these guys are tall. I say all this because I absolutely felt like I did not belong there. All the people around us definitely looked like they had a lot more money and a lot more reason to be where I was at. I did not feel like I belonged there. And I'm sure the shepherds at this point in time felt like they didn't belong there. And I think it's important for us to understand because sometimes we feel like we don't belong with Christ. Man, my, my life is not, you know, right um, I, I don't belong, I don't, some people are apprehensive to even come to church because they feel like they don't belong. Feel like I don't belong there. Well, this is the shepherds. But the angel tells them, I come to bring you good news of great joy for all people. You know why he wanted to go to the shepherds? because the religious leaders did a great job of making people feel like they did not belong. It was a difficult existence that constantly made the average person feel like they did not belong to God. They did not belong with God. There was... These religious leaders not only had the law that God had given them, but then they began to add their own traditions, their own ways, their own practices on top of all that. And it was very easy for the normal everyday person who God wanted to redeem to feel like there was no chance of having a relationship with God. The religious leaders had led people so far away from God that he had, that God had to intervene and send a Savior to put an end to this. And the news that is going to be of great joy for all people is that they will find a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do not. Glaze over these names and these titles. I mentioned it when we were reading the scripture. Do not just breeze past this. Savior, this is the call of Jesus to deliver his people. You're going to find the Savior. You're going to find the one that I have called to deliver his people. That's who you're going to find. The Christ. What does Christ mean? It's the Greek word used for the anointed one. In Hebrew, they call it the Messiah. So he is... Not only the one that is called to deliver people, to deliver God's people, he's also the anointed one that can do this. And then Lord is a word that is rarely used in the Bible, in, in, in the New Testament. It, this word that is used here is rarely used. And it's because it's a word that has great emphasis on the authority and the power that, that Christ has to exercise over sin that he has to exercise over death and the, the authority and power that he has to exercise over evil forces. Amen. The good news of great joy for all people was that there was going to be a savior, the Christ, the Lord, because he has the call to deliver God's people. He was the anointed one who could do it. And Lordship meant he had the authority to do so. This is a good news that we have. The Christ that came to die for us was the one who was anointed, the one who had the call and the one who had the authority to do so. Amen. Now there's something that we can learn from these shepherds. It's nighttime and they're not asleep. What are these shepherds doing? It says... These shepherds um, were watching over their flock. They were keeping and watching over their flock by night. They were out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. This was possible. The shepherds were not asleep. They were keeping watch over the flock by night. This is so they wouldn't be deceived by what they saw and heard. And if there's anything that the enemy wants to do in our lives, it's make us complacent and sleepy in our walk with God so that we can easily be deceived by what we see and what we hear. Shepherds were not asleep. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. Some of us need to keep watch over our walk with God. Can't get lazy with it. Because if we do, it's very easy for us to be deceived in what we see and what we hear. Oh, that wasn't really God. Oh, oh, oh somebody said this, and it has no correlation with God's word, but man, it was really good. So I'm going to begin to follow this. And we be get, begin to be deceived. The other thing that we see is that the shepherds were at work in the business of their calling. And there's many people who are tired and asleep and not busy in their calling. Many I know many of you have a calling in your life. I've known many of you for many years and I know that there is a calling on your life. Be busy in your calling. Be at work in your calling. Be like the shepherds, be at work in the business of your calling. So we have Christ being born in the manger. We have the shepherds where it seems like they're insignificant insignificant, but God makes them significant. And the third thing that we see is a response. We see a response in this passage of Scripture. So all this wonderful news that's happening, the way that God is born, and then we see uh, the way that Christ is born, I'm sorry, and, and then we see the way the shepherds are approached, and they have this amazing experience, and they go. Um, their response is incredible to me because the shepherds and Mary both will see this. They, have, they both have obedience, and they have praise in their response. Their response to Christ coming to earth, to the Savior being born in Bethlehem, the place he was, their response led them to a place of obedience and praise. Amen? The shepherds obeyed what the angel had told them, and they went to see the Savior. There is something great in store for us when we obey and go where God tells us. Amen? They obey and see what they were told is true. Mary does the same thing. Mary had an angel appear to her and tell her you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. And when the time was appropriate for her to give him a name, which customary at that time was after they were circumcised, eight days after they were born, Mary obeys and names him Jesus, just like the angel told her to. We have two examples of people responding in obedience. So what should our response be? Obedience. Our response to the Savior coming to this earth should be obedience. And the second thing that we see is praise comes from these shepherds. As the shepherds are confronted with the truth, they respond by glorifying and praising God. Maybe some of you here don't fully understand why some of us get a little outward with our expression in praising God. Well, it's because God has done a great work, and we've seen God's truth come through in our lives. I can promise you this. that Maybe there's some fakers, but I believe that the, the true, genuine people who are praising God have had an experience with God and they can't help contain it. They have to let it out and they have to praise God. Can you imagine being one of these shepherds and just, that was cool? Oh, yeah, that happened to me once. That was it. Like, they just have this incredible experience. And what are they, what is their response to it? They praise God. <clears throat> our response to coming, our response to coming to know God's truth should be to glorify. And Praise him. Amen. If you'll stand with me here this morning Christ the Savior Came in a humble form So that we would know he was for all people He wasn't for notoriety He wasn't for position He wasn't for people with titles, nor was he for a title or earthly power. He came in a very humble form to let us know that he was for all people. Because he is the Savior. The one who had the call to redeem God's people. He is the Christ, the anointed one. And he is the Lord, the one who has the authority to defeat sin, death, and evil, and darkness. Amen? So what should our response be? This should cause us to obey and praise him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. God, I thank you. For your word, which edifies us, God, it challenges us, it rebukes us in the area where we need to be corrected, and it instructs us in the ways that we should go. So God, this morning, I pray that we would take heed of how the shepherds were when you announced to them that the Savior had been born. And I pray that we would be people who recognize you as the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, God, I pray that we would be people who respond in obedience and with praise in our mouth and in our hearts, God. God, this time of year, we want to reflect what the true reason for the season is. God, at this time of year, we want to direct our focus to you, God. God, thank you.